Welcome to the first episode of the Wrestling Rodeo Podcast, the official podcast of the YYC Wrestling Hub. We're currently going back in time to the late 1980s and talking about some classic stampede wrestling. For the first time ever, I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mitch. Hi, everybody. So my relationship with stampede wrestling is a little bit different than yours, Mitch. I grew up in the 90s, early 2000s, and Stampede was always kind of, it wasn't what Stampede Wrestling with Stu Hart was. There was a Stampede revival, and that's the Stampede Wrestling I knew, but you actually grew up with Stu Hart's Stampede Wrestling. So these shows aren't necessarily brand new to you. You're familiar with them. You're familiar with a lot of the rules that are in play here. Oh yeah, it uh, it was a different brand of wrestling back in the day. I remember I started watching probably in the later seventies. It was a zoo. You just never knew what was going to happen. There was guys cheating left, right, and center, and the rules seemed to allow for you could cheat twice, and then you were out, which was always kind of funny. That's a really interesting thing that you said in that manner. Um... They could cheat twice, and but not a third time. And it, that's the card system in Stampede Wrestling, right? Yeah, so if you did a minor infraction, such as not laying off the man on the ropes after the ref countered yelled, or something severe on the outside, like pile-driving someone into the concrete, you know, a minor infraction, you would get a yellow card. If you got two of those, you were still okay. But the third one would end the match. So two yellows, you get a red. What would a red card be, though? You said pile driving someone on the outside's yellow. How extreme would someone have to get to get a red card? Well, you can't throw someone over the top rope. So that's an automatic red card. Or a foreign object that the ref catches you with. Or obviously interference. But they just... You know, they say it's a disqualification, but I think it's actually a red card. Okay. The red card came up a couple of times in this this first month of January 1987. And I'm glad that you explained that to our audience. Because uh, you explained it to me, too, when we were watching these initially. And I was confused. Yeah, it was just like I say, it was a different brand of wrestling. that was a little more... Uh, I don't know. I found I was just enthralled by it. it. Just, you know, you'd sit there and lose an hour of the day and watch Stampede Wrestling. Another really interesting thing that I noticed Stampede Wrestling doing is the matches are joined in progress. They're not, uh, there's no entrances, there's no fanfare, there's no theme music. All of the matches that you have, they're already five, six, seven, eight minutes in. Yeah, it was, uh, I had forgotten all about that, but you never really did see the start of a match or a guy coming out. And it was, uh, I don't know, I just took it for granted that, you know, they were usually joining it in progress 10 minutes in, so you can't fit that all on a TV show with commercials. So, yeah, like I say, I just never questioned it. And then the new wrestling, of course, 
it, it's there and everything and it's a great part of the show so I, I think it was just a time constraint for them yeah and i'm glad that you touched on that current wrestling you see all of that because uh, like it or not wrestling has become more branded and the talents themselves are more branded so you hear that song you hear it's time to play the game and you know you're thinking of triple h oh yeah it's a spectacle more now them coming out and i think it's a, a really good thing for wrestling because it builds up the match but i never went to an actual live show back in the day so maybe they were doing a good entrance and i just don't know about it maybe so let's let's jump into the first episode of january 1987 january 16th of that year we start into a tag team match between the cuban assassin and Viet Cong express number one against jeff wheeler and ken johnson the southern alberta boys uh, wrestling out of Lethbridge and Medicine Hat, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I enjoyed this match quite a bit, and it's a match that would really fit in well in wrestling today, I think, where the Cuban Assassin and Viet Cong Express obviously working as a heel tag team, and they're working over Ken Johnson, who's just... I mean, he's he's flopping around like a fish. He's selling what these guys are doing to him and you believe it all and he eventually gets over there and he gets the hottest of hot tags and this is a young bucks nick jackson caliber hot tag where jeff wheeler comes in and just wreaks havoc on cuban assassin and Viet Cong. yeah for young guys they were really impressive i don't remember them i, I did remember the cuban assassin because once you've watched him a time or two, you don't forget him. Oh, no, he's he's such a character. Uh, that huge afro, the crazy look in his eyes. Yeah, and the fatigue pants. So, always talking about Fidel Castro. <laughs> like he was just the, the perfect heel. And he, his ring presence, I always found, was good. Like he, he knew where the camera was and could work to it, I think. Although I didn't think about it at the time, but watching it now, I kind of noticed that. Uh, but my, my favorite part actually came after the match. Um, so the Cuban assassin, Viet Cong Express, beating down uh, Jeff Wheeler. They, they get out a kendo stick and they're laying into him. Ben Basarab comes in, makes the save, chases him off. But then he gets distracted and they the villains get back in the ring and throw him over the ropes. Which is of course perfectly legal when you're not in the match. Yeah. But the crowd was so hot during that segment. Uh, they're chanting, Owen, 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 just as loud as can be. And obviously they're chanting for Owen Hart, who we're going to get into later in this show. But, I'm not sure I've been in a live wrestling crowd that is that intimate and that loud. Oh yeah, it was insane back in the day. I uh, I had a buddy when I was in uh, elementary school. His name was Ed 
and he used to go to shows and he told me one time that there was guys that would pee into cups and sit above the wrestlers and when the bad guys came out they pour it on them now i don't know if that's true i never actually saw it that is so it could have just been a it could have just been a wrestling myth that's unbelievable But I remember him telling me that. I get it's the 80s, but why? Well, because you hated the bad guys. You got to really hate someone to want to pour pee on them. Yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, it's <laughs> not something I would ever do. It just gave, gave me an idea of the commitment of the fan. Wow. So our next match... Two former Stampede North American heavyweight champions, Ron Ritchie and Kerry Brown. Um, this is classic heel work by Kerry Brown. He's playing the cowardly heel. He's backing into the corner when Ron Ritchie's firing up. He's begging him off. He's trying to get him to do a timeout. The finish of this was really interesting, where Ron Ritchie gets Brown in a sleeper hold and it puts him out. I can't remember the last time I've seen a sleeper hold be used as a finishing move. Yeah. And I think you'll, uh, you're going to see, or we're going to see a lot more going forward because it was often used in stampede wrestling. And I never did know why it kind of disappeared from wrestling well it became a transitional move yeah that's true like guys would use it as a rest hold R randy orton is notorious for that where he would get some guy in a headlock and it would just be a rest hold um waiting for commercial to come back but it was it was surreal to see it used as a finishing move well, I, I quite enjoyed that match. I would have loved to have seen the full-length match or e even a rematch later in. I don't know if they're going to have a rematch later, but I'd love to see more of those two. Yeah, I definitely... I actually like all four of those guys in the ring. They're all very entertaining. and It's a good product they put out there. Yeah, and af after that match, we had the, uh, the, the current at the time stampede north american heavyweight champion mock and sing come out and i loved this promo to me it was promo 101 where you put yourself over but you don't talk down about your competition because if you beat them so what you made them look stupid if you if you lose to them you you look like an asshole so but he put these guys over. He said, there's 20 guys that come out and say they're former champions or they want to be champions. He talks about Ben Basarab, Big Bill Kazmaier, Owen Hart, getting better every time. But he ultimately says that he and Gamma Singh have a plan to keep the championship with them. And then Gamma Singh started to try to cut a promo against, against interference, and Ed Whalen cut him off. Yeah, I love that. That is so cool to have an announcer that just goes, no, nah, it's my show. You're not talking anymore. 
it, it, just that look of disgust he would give. It's just mm. perfect. Yeah, for sure. It, Gamma Gamma Singh was probably one of those guys that uh, were people were targeting with their cups of pee. <laughs> because I remember hearing stories about him in Calgary walking around and having people yell racist things at him just in the street, not, not even performing. Oh, and that's just a shame too. Cause he was great. Like I remember seeing him at, uh, RCW show and I wanted to go over and say, hi, I should have, but he was one of the, he was one of the great guys back then of the whole show. Yeah. He's, he's at RCW every so often with his uh, son who's also a, a fantastic talent in his own right. I've loved watching him in the Calgary scene for years. And I really enjoyed watching him get the opportunity on impact that he's been able to get. But his, his dad, man, Gamma Singh, that guy, talent now should go back and watch Gamma Singh promos because they're masterpieces. Oh yeah, he was the entire package. You know, he could wrestle, he could shoot the promos. He, he played the part so good, and I can't remember if they ever turned him. It'd be a shame to turn him. Yeah, that's true. He was just—he was so good. He, you know, and recognizing back in the day, I hated him. I wanted to see someone drive him through a post, but that's how good he was. He's the perfect bad guy. Yeah. But this this was also the first promo I saw Mockinson cut. And he actually called Owen Hart Owen Hart. Later in his promos, he refers to him as Omar the entire time, which I, I thought is extremely comical. Um, just because how disrespectful can you be to not even know your number one contender's like the challenger's name. Oh, and to just use the wrong name over and over and over again. Yeah, just kept calling him Omar. <laughs> but, you know, it's part of the game. You want to lure him into the ring and then double team him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our next match was a, another tag match. Duke Myers and Ted Arcidi, um wrestling Bill Kazmaier and Mr. Hito. Duke Myers, Ted Arcidi, and Kazmaier. Those are huge guys. Arcidi and Kazmaier, they look like superheroes. Yeah, they're almost comic book characters. Like they're just so built. They stood out just because of, as a lot of wrestling fans would call it, quote unquote, the look. Um, but they stood out and they pulled off some pretty impressive uh, power moves. While they were in the ring. But then Mr. Hito gets in the ring and he gets isolated, uh, gets absolutely beat down by Duke Myers and Ted Arcidi. Um, and the, the finish was vicious. Ted Arcidi picked up Mr. Hito into a gorilla press slam and then dropped him onto the top rope. Throat first. Yeah, that didn't look pretty. That's one of those times where you think you might have actually got hurt. 
like it looked so vicious but if if they could do it safely wow oh yeah like Mr. Hito was always good at that. I always kind of felt bad for him because he always seemed to be the guy that took the beating. Well, I, I hope we see him but win. He, but he always came back, you know. He was as resilient as they got. I, I, hope, so we, I always, hope we see him win at some point while we're watching these. Yeah, hopefully. Going forward, you never know. And th that gorilla press slam was quickly followed by a pinfall. Um, Duke Myers, Ted RCD win. Um, Duke Myers is usually in a team with Kerry Brown, the Masters of Disaster. So it was a little interesting to see them, Kerry Brown wrestling a singles match and Duke Myers wrestling a tag match with a different partner. Yeah, because I, you know, I always remembered Kerry Brown and Duke Myers together. And they were a formidable tag team. To say the least. Yeah, luckily later in the January shows, we get to see them um, team up a couple of times. Uh, the next match was Ben Basarab and the aforementioned Gamma Singh. Uh, this one finished as a no contest because Viet Cong Express got involved, which I wasn't expecting to see in a show from 1987. Um, where you had shades of gray and you didn't have Gamma Singh and Viet Cong just team up and beat down Ben Basarab just because they're both bad guys. Yeah, that's an interesting storyline with those three. They did a good job with that. Yeah, using it to set up the uh, Bermuda Triangle match the next week. Yeah. Which was a elimination triple threat match where each wrestler put up three thousand dollars or no they put up a thousand dollars the total pot was three thousand dollars yeah that was uh well we talk about that match during that show but it was uh a nice setup for those three especially with like you say they don't just team up against the good guys so it does look like a three-way yeah, it looked like all three guys legitimately just wanted to beat each other up. Yeah. But it was a no contest. They uh, Diamond Jim Davies came down to the ring and interviewed all three guys. And for someone that hadn't watched Stampede Wrestling when it, during its heyday, I knew about Ed Whalen. I would hear stories about Ed Whalen, but I'd never hear about Diamond Jim Davies. And that's a shame because he's a brilliant interviewer and commentator for Stampede Wrestling as well. Yeah, and he teamed up really well with Ed Whalen because they kind of split the difference. And then when either one of them was feuding with one of the wrestlers, they could have the other guy do the interview, which was, you know, smart thinking. The one thing I kind of noticed that was uh, watching them, there's something about going to the live shows but I wasn't sure it was different. And then I realized it was, I can actually hear what the guys in the ring are saying. So with the PA system, mm -hmm. and I think the, the noise in the crowd, you kind of lose part of the show that you get at home on TV because it's a crisper 
audio of what's going on. Yeah, but you you also trade off being in the re- or being in the arena and having that atmosphere. Well, when I'm older and I don't hear as good. <laughs> Uh, and then our next match was for the Stampede North American Heavyweight title match. And this is the first Owen Hart match that's included in these shows that we've been able to acquire. It's Makin Singh defending his championship against the mid-heavyweight champion Owen Hart, uh, who's looking to become the first ever double champion, I believe they said on the broadcast. Owen was such a joy to watch, even at this point in his career. He must have been, what, 21, 22? But he's so smooth. He transitions between moves so quickly. And he's really bringing it to Mock and Singh through the entire match. Owen Hart has the upper hand pretty much the whole match. Yeah, and he was uh, one of the guys I kind of forgot about watching back then. And it was good to see him again because he was so good. Like you, you just kind of can't imagine why you would forget him. But I think probably because it was these years, I was just in my 20s, so I was going a little a lot more, so I probably didn't see as many of these shows. But yeah, what a joy to watch he was. He kicked out of a couple of huge splashes from Mockin Singh, who's a 400-pounder. The finish of it came where... Owen hit a sunset flip pin on Mockinson and got the three count. But earlier in the match, Mockinson had introduced a foreign object and Owen picked it up and tucked it into his tights to get it out of the ring. So Mockinson brings it to the attention of the referee. The referee finds it, gives Owen Hart the red card. Mockinson wins by disqualification. Yeah, although it was, because uh, I remember when he had the foreign object, Hart took it away from him and was going to use it, and then he decided better, you know, because he's a good guy. He's not going to use a foreign object. That's when he tucked it in. But didn't he get the win? And then the other ref came out of nowhere and found the foreign object? Did, did Was it a different ref, or was it Mockin' Singh who brought the attention to the foreign object? No, I thought that one was where the uh, head official came out and pulled it out and showed it to the ref, and then they took the belt away from him. I think you might be right. But either way, Owen, he got screwed. He should have been champion. He should have been the double champion at that point. But unfortunately, it was not meant to be on that night. Yeah, but you you could see he was probably the top guy and there was going to be another another match. Yeah, they didn't have to wait long to get the belt onto Owen because on the next show, January 23rd, 1987, they opened with uh, Ed Whalen and Jim Davies talking about how Owen won the belt in Medicine Hat in a cage match, untelevised but was ultimately left with some injuries after the match when Gamma Singh threw a fireball into his face. Which was interesting. I don't remember fireballs when I watched. But yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good assault, you know? 
Fireball is a really interesting. I was at a Defy show in Seattle last year, appropriately titled Into the Fire, where it was the American guns against War Beast. And one of the members of War Beast, Yosef Samael, he throws a fireball into one of the uh, American guns' faces. And it left the entire crowd breathless. Like, no one knew what they were seeing. Everyone kind of froze with that, oh my God, what did I just see? And I haven't seen a fireball in wrestling since. I hadn't seen a fireball in wrestling before then. Yeah, it's kind of an extreme event. So I think you never know how people are going to react. But it's it seared in my memory, and I'm I'm never gonna forget that moment where he was perched up on that top corner. He's gonna do a move off of the top turnbuckle, and he looks down. Here comes a fireball straight into his face. Oh man, I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, uh, but we start pretty quickly with Beef Wellington, who is our uh, wrestler on the cover of this episode. Uh, beating Ken Johnson. It, this match was, it was good. It was, you could see why Beef Wellington had stuck around Stampede Wrestling for so long. He was a, he was a skilled wrestler, consistent, but at least in this match, he didn't do a whole lot to stand out. Yeah, he's, he had the look and the talk. But sometimes I found him in the ring. There was a, just not quite the top level you would expect out of like an Owen Hart, but still a really good solid performance. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Owen though, he's cutting a promo in the ring. He's bandaged up. He's wearing sunglasses. And he has bandages on his face where he was burned from the fireball. And he's staying. He still wants to defend that championship against Mock and Singh tonight. Yeah, just the, the heart of a champion there. All the way. It was a good promo. It was passionate. You could, you could really feel the emotions that they wanted you to feel from watching Owen in this state not lie down and not let Mock and Singh and Gamma Singh keep him down. Yeah, he was probably, you could all, ah, I want to say the best of the heart, but I got a thing for Brett. Well, oh, Owen was always my favorite uh, member of the Hart family. I think it was a little brother thing. Watching him and Brett Hart wrestle in the WWF. And I was always rooting for Owen because I'm the younger brother in my family. It, it's got to be a younger brother thing with Owen and Brett. Yeah, see, I think it was just Brett was around more when I was young. And Owen kind of came when I was just getting away from watching wrestling as much. So my memories of Brett are, there's a lot more of them. Mm-hmm. So we go into a six-man tag. Uh, Duke Myers, Kerry Brown, Ted Arcidi, uh beating Bill Kazmaier, Jeff Wheeler, and Mr. Hito. It was... 
it took me by surprise when Ed Whalen said that a six man tag is a unusual match. It's crazy to think that 30 years later, six man tags became really the norm. Ring of Honor has a six man tag team championship, and you have six man, eight man tags in WWE and AEW pretty much every week. Oh, and it's such a good idea, you know. You can you can put together so many different styles in one match. You know, it's kind of a natural fit without overloading the ring with too much. I think, you know, if you get the four or five, you would, it would just be a little, little bit of chaos. But three seems the right number, I think. Yeah. And again, Mr. Hito got isolated, got beat down. I'm rooting for him. If Mr. Hito wins, I might actually have to, uh, I was going to say go buy party favors, but given that we're pretty much in lockdown and quarantined, that's not going to happen. I'll have to figure out some way to make my own noisemaker to celebrate Mr. Hito's victory. Well, there must be some sort of internet blast out. <laughs> just just use uh, text notification sounds to celebrate. <laughs> uh, so after that, we had the Cuban assassin versus Ron Ritchie wrestled to a time limit draw. Um, unfortunately, I, th- I thought this one joined a little late for my liking, just because we couldn't, there, there wasn't a whole lot to go off of to get a feel for the match. There wasn't a lot of flow. They uh, time limit draw, and you only see three minutes of it. I, I think this was one of the ones that really kind of suffered from the joining matches in progress presentation that Stampede Wrestling was doing. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of that match. And really, the Cuban assassin, although it it's really hard to say without ever having seen the early matches what was going on. Mm-hmm. So there might have been a feeling out process where guys were running into the crowd a lot or something. Mind you, I'd like to see that. Then we got into the Bermuda Triangle, the triple threat, the three-way match. Ben Basarab winning the match, beating Gamma Singh and Viet Cong Express by countout which is the strangest finish I've ever seen in a triple threat match. Two guys get counted out at the same time and the guy left in the ring wins. Yeah. And he was done for probably what, five, 10 minutes. He was just done on the ground. Yeah. Like he was just laying in the ring while the other two guys just fought each other, spilled out, got counted out. And the, the guy that took the beating in the ring ended up winning and winning $3,000, which would be just shy of $6,000 today. Yeah, it was a very satisfying ending. That's not a bad payday. Oh, that's a beautiful payday back then for one night. (laughs) Uh, And then we're into the main event, the North American heavyweight title match. Owen Hart, the champion, wrestling Mock and Singh in his first title defense. Um. Oh, and with one eye, with one eye, which 
such an incredible talent. I can't say enough about how good Owen Hart was. Total package. He's an absolute joy. I think we're, we've only watched a few months of these tapes and it's remarkable. It's an absolute joy to watch him perform. Oh yeah. It was a fantastic match and doing it with one eye covered. You just, I don't know without the depth perception, how you can have all the timing and everything down to be at that level. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he, it was a good match. And Makasing, you're always, it's always going to be hell to pay when you go up against him. Yep. And uh, Owen Hart wins by disqualification when he gets fire thrown into his other eye. By the great Gamma. That, that is a terrible week for Owen Hart. Yeah, you won the championship, but you got two fireballs thrown into your face? Yeah, the intimidation tactics are uh, pretty extreme in the old days. But, you know, a guy like Owen Hart, you got you to gotta do quite a bit to keep him down. And the moccasins of the world, they know that. You know, that's why they're always trying to bait him. That's why they try to get stuff going in between when there's no ref and then they can use weapons and try to hurt you so you're not as good for the next match. But Owen Hart, at the end of this show, is where he belongs. He's holding that championship belt. He's our champion. It's so great to see him hold it. Was that the first time he'd won it? That was the first time he won it. It was the Medicine Hat um, show where he won it, and then this was his first title defense. Yeah, but he hadn't ever won it before that, right? Not the heavyweight one. He was the mid-heavyweight champion uh, two times before. This was his first heavyweight championship. Yeah, kind of a rare thing to see. That's cool. Yeah, and going into January 30th, 1987, the last show for Stampede that was televised, Masters of Disaster, Duke Myers, Kerry Brown, they're finally back together. They're not in a six-man tag. They're not separated. They beat Ben Basarab and guess who? Mr. Hito. Yeah, and you don't uh, you don't want to get isolated when you got Duke Myers and Kerry Brown because they know how to work the tags. Well, they they know two, how to distract the ref. They're two big mean men. Oh, they're it, nasty. They're just pure nasty. C- comparing it to wrestling today, getting isolated by those two guys would be like getting isolated by heavy metal and big Jess in RCW. Oh yeah. Like you, you just, you have no chance. Yeah. Those guys were, uh, probably the top tag team back then. I think. Mm-hmm. Years I watched anyways, when I was younger. Yeah. And guys would come and beat them, but for consistency, they were, they were challenging for the belt or had the belts constantly. Well, I, I can see why they're, they're a well-oiled machine. They're mean, they're great tag team wrestlers. And I love tag team wrestling. It's my favorite kind. And they really worked, uh, and I forgot how often they did too. They really worked the tags with the ref. 
so they knew how to distract the ref when the when the good guys were going to get back to their tag, and then they'd make the tag, and one of them would drag the guy back a little bit, and the ref would force the new guy, the fresh guy, to go back out. Yeah, now that you mention it, that they were doing that quite a bit, and they were doing the you know the fake tag where the ref would turn around and they would clap their hands together and get the other guy in the ring. Yeah. Yeah, just as a tag team, they knew every trick in the book and they worked them all. And Duke Myers always had that big glove on. Yeah. And Ed Whalen was sure that it was loaded. <laughs> Ed Whalen was a treasure. He uh he just really gives it to the bad guys every show. Like he doesn't hold back. He is not pretending to be an unbiased announcer. He is every bit a part of the show as these wrestlers. Oh yeah. And and he'd call them out when they were in fabrications. We almost need a uh, Ed Whalen today. Ed Whalen today would I feel like he would hurt people's feelings. <laughs> yeah, because they're a little more, I don't know, the, the good guys seem to just be quiet and take it, whereas Ed would give it back to him. Yeah, I think that might be why it's so satisfying to watch him interact with the bad, or with the bad guys in, the, in these shows is he's standing up to them and he's verbally giving it back to them. And it's, it's the smallest guy. It's the guy that has no business picking a fight with a bad guy. But he's he's got a like he's got a backbone. It's satisfying. Yeah, he's, to kind see. Of the, he's kind of the avatar for the fans. Definitely. In a way. Moving on from that match, we had Ron Ritchie defeat the Cuban assassin in singles action. Uh, Bill Kazmaier defeating Ted RCD by countout. Gamma Singh against Viet Cong Express. Gamma Singh wins by disqualification. But damn, what a match. That was a great match. These guys were fun to watch. It was action-packed, heel versus heel. Both guys are trying to out-cheat each other. Oh, yeah. And I would watch that match today. I'd love to see that match today. Like they just both have top level skill. They got great moves. Like you say, with the with the managers interfering and Gamma Singh using every trick in the book and it was just one of those matches that's great for the fans because you don't have to worry about the wrong guy losing in a way. Because you, yeah, you, like you want them both to lose somehow. Yeah, but the fans were a little bit on the side of the Viet Cong Express. Yeah, they, they hated Gamma Singh just a little bit more. Yeah, he's, he's just a little bit uh, more... pure as a character, I think. <laughs> so if... If you had to pick two wrestlers today, it, it could be guys from WWE, AEW, it could be guys from local independent wrestling in Alberta, RCW, PWA. If you had to pick two guys to wrestle heel versus heel, 
and give us a comparable match to that, who would you pick? Hmm. That's a tough one. Like my my pick would be Chris Jericho and his protege in AEW, Sammy Guevara. I think those two would it, it'd be action packed, it would be a fast paced match. Those two working with each other as heels, trying to cheat each other and kind of go, Yeah, we're still on the same side, but I, I wanna win. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. It'd be fun. Uh, and then we go to our main event, Mock and Sing and Owen Hart. Mock and Sing winning, regaining the title. Um, and he only had to burn Owen Hart with two fireballs to do it. I'm so sad to have seen Owen drop the title so quickly. But the finish came when a towel gets thrown into a ring. And no one knows who threw it, but the referee stops and Mockensing is declared the winner. And Owen was not going to give up. He told him a couple times he didn't want to quit. Nope. Uh, his big brother, Bruce, hits the ring, brawls with Mockensing. Mockensing um, beats him with a kendo stick, tacking his leg. So I, I assume previous months 1986 1985 bruce hart must have had significant leg injuries yeah yeah he did uh, he's just just about to come back from it okay so, so that that's that's what the story was there uh ron Ritchie hits the ring chases off mock and sing and quickly checks on bruce who's holding his leg but Owen Hart's also down in the corner after taking that beating and losing his championship. Yeah, and having Makasing dig into his eye again and again and again. Yeah. For for the first full month of Stampede Wrestling that I've ever seen, I loved this. Oh, it was fantastic. I you know what brought back old memories. It was great to watch. And there was one thing I noticed back then and I noticed it today is the good guys never seem to cheat well. So, you know, like that at the end there, instead of all the good guys coming at once, they would come one at a time and then wait till the other guy was beaten down. So they always seem to be facing them one on two or one on three. And I always wonder why they didn't just come out in like a pack of four or five of them at all times. So what you're saying is, and I'm, I'm going to quote Spaceballs here, um, evil will always win because good is dumb. More or less, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was a, a great month. I loved seeing the high of Owen Hart winning. I was sad that the low of him losing came so quickly, but... These the the talent on these shows that they're all great wrestlers, top to bottom. They were fantastic, and I I think you could put them into wrestling today and see some really interesting stuff out of these guys. 
yeah they were it was a great product back in the day like none other and then there was a couple other wrestling shows that we got eventually but none of them seemed to be as good as stampede wrestling i felt back you know when i was young being a calgary show i was biased <laughs> well i think that's a good place to to wrap up this podcast we will save february for another week um mitch i really appreciate you uh doing this with me as part of wrestling rodeo uh and i hope all of our listeners have enjoyed listening to us talk about simone stampede wrestling and will want to come back next week for our second release and in the meantime and in between time that's it another edition of wrestling rodeo <laughs>